Hey everybody, I'm John Small. And I'm Dan Bova. And from the Entrepreneur Media Podcast Network, this is Dirty Money. Investigators have called it one of the biggest corruption cases ever. You're one of the greatest con men of all time. You're the daddy of them all. But what does it take to be a good con man? I'm not guilty. You're the one who's guilty. Well, hey, Dan. Hello, John. How are you? It's good to see you again. Good to good to be seen and to see you. I you see know, you, Dan. I see you. Thank you. It's good to be seen. It's good to be felt. Well, no, that sounds <laughs> well, weird. That uh, sounds really weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, John, I, I'm feeling good, and I, I'm wondering if it's a placebo effect or what, but... Um, so I do a different podcast, another podcast uh, here at Entrepreneur. You traitor! I, I treat, I cheat on you. I don't like that. <laughs> and um, it's called uh, Get a Real Job. I and uh, I interviewed uh, uh, Laird Hamilton, the, the big wave surfer, and his wife Gabby oh, Reese. Yeah. And they have this like line of uh, uh, green drinks and hydration drinks and stuff like that. And I've been taking it, and I I actually do feel better. And I'm like, really? Is it real? And uh, you know, you always have to wonder like about this kind of stuff because I, you know, this is a show about crime, as you know. And uh, it, what 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 sparked this thought was that there's this guy in Utah. I don't know if you saw. Um, he's been on the run for three years. Uh, because he is wanted for, he was a, a board certified anti-aging medical doctor. Uh, and this article has those words in quotes. So, um, but he, uh, he totally made up that he was a PhD in immunology and all kinds of really long words. But anyway, he was selling this like alkaline silver cure for uh, COVID-19, which uh, did not work. Um, and he got busted for it and he was like on the run for three years and, and they just, they just nabbed him at a gas station on a, on a surveillance camera. You know, I mean, it just shows you that as long as there are people that are willing to believe in sort of miracles, uh, there will be cons. Yes, exactly. And again, I I hate to, I hate to conflate your friend Baird and Gabrielle Reese with this guy because maybe because they're not conning anybody. I mean, I don't think they are. But, you know, people are going to believe what they're going to believe, what they want to believe. And if yeah. you can find those type of people, you're golden. I don't think I don't think there's ever going to be an end to cons as long as people want to believe the truth. And there is no. that placebo effect too, right? Like where people will think that they've gotten healed. I mean, that green drink, it might work, but you're so convinced it works that it doesn't matter whether it works or not at this point. I'm going to say this. I'm ex- I'm an extremely dubious person when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I do believe this one works. And that's why, dirty money listeners, I want you to Venmo me all of your money and I'll get you in on the ground floor and we will get a great deal. No, it's uh, their, their stuff is legit. I do not want to conflate them. With, and by the uh, way, they're not, they're not even sponsoring this podcast and they yeah. should be because it's free publicity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But, but this guy, what was his name here from Utah? Gordon Hunter Pedersen. Not a good guy. Taking not, people's not a good money. Man. 
having them drink some kind of silver concoction, not good. But if you're on the run from the cops, man, you got to do it on foot. Don't go to a gas station. There's there's uh, surveillance cameras everywhere. You're going to get busted. It's true. I think people forget about the surveillance cameras, which is a great segue to the story I'm about to tell you about the FIEDs, because without surveillance cameras, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. And oh. and I and the crazy thing is this happened almost 12, 13 years ago. But I guess this, the, the technology was still pretty advanced even back in the day. But oh, um, wow. Have you heard? Have you heard about the Fiads? No. So you. Uh, so t- to give you the listener a peek into our our process, you peel back the curtain here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> John and Fourth I will wall. text each other or Slack each other and go like, "Hey, how about this one?" And then the other person goes, "Okay, cool." Or I never heard of that one. Or wow, that guy sounds like a really sick fuck. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's the case in this one. Um, I hadn't heard about it till you told me about it. I hadn't either. I stumbled across the story or I didn't really stumble. I was doing some research and then I found it and I went down the, the rabbit hole. And, and it's a really, it's a pretty dark story. It's a darker story than we usually tell on Dirty Money. But, you know, there's no story, but it's a story that should be told. Um, and it certainly matches our criteria for filthy, filthy money. Because it's it's really a story of, of greed, of love gone bad, and just how evil evil can be. I mean, this is, this is pretty evil what you're about to hear. So yeah. um, this is not for the youngins. So if you got some youngins listening, maybe ask them to leave the room at this point. Right. Turn right, off the radio. Right. <laughs> and if you're listening to this while you're working out, it, it might just make you sad and like put down the weights and like, just yeah. be like, <laughs> exactly. Oh. This is one to just listen to, to wallow in your, I don't know. Bedroom <laughs> just this. That's that's the kind of podcast we're about to do here. So yeah, well, all right, John, to drop it on us. What happened? I'm dropping Who are these it. People? Um, okay, so the Fieds. Okay, so this is a couple who, for all intents and purposes, seem to have it all. Like if you were their neighbors, you would be like, that is one happy, successful couple. They lived in a mansion in a place called Camarillo, California, which is just north of where I am here in Los Angeles, kind of a Tony area near where the Kardashians live. Mm. Um, they had a gigantic horse ranch uh, in a place called Moore Park. They were on over 200 acres of land. I think of like wow. 200 acres of land in California is, yeah. is a lot of land to own, right? Yes. I mean, that's expensive. Um, they had two beautiful daughters at, who were nine and seventeen at the time that were about that we're talking about here, and they made millions of dollars every year to support this lifestyle. So, uh, are these people just like royalty? Were they born rich? Like, wh- where did this money come from? So they actually were, you know, true entrepreneurs. They mm. they started their own business. The business idea apparently came from Pamela Fayed. And they ran this website, which was called Goldfinger Coin and Bullion. And what the site was, it was a it was a gold exchange where basically customers could could invest, they could hold, they could transfer their gold and silver earnings, and they could do this all on this online platform, uh, which was called eBullion.com. And then they would sort of convert these holdings into cash uh, using ATMs around the world. So basically you would invest in gold and at any time you could you could trade the gold for cash. And 
it was hugely successful. This was like in the kind of early 2000s, right? When the gold's value was was really rising. Mm. And they built this this tiny website into a massive uh, business endeavor. It had a, a million um, visitors each month. Apparently, when all was said and done, thirty-five million dollars passed through the website every single wow. month. And they, and they were and they were hard at work on it. This was like their life's passion. They did it together as a couple. She apparently worked on it during the night when uh, Jim slept, and then she would go to sleep, and Jim would work on it during the day. And mm. it was like a twenty-four hour kind of uh, thing wow. for them until they started hiring a staff. So again, like. Normally, this would be a story of like entrepreneurial success. These are the kind of stories we love it on. Yeah. Or like a couple making, you know, finding a sort of problem that needed to be solved. But it turns out, Dan, that all that glitters is not gold. Nice wordplay. Can I just... <laughs> I've been waiting to say that. I can see your face twitching. You're like, what I was like, oh, I can't wait to say. (laughs) I would like to say one other thing, though, and I I honestly don't know uh, how this story is going to unfold. But I'm going to just say that this company was named after a uh, James (laughs) Bond villain, Goldfinger. So I'm guessing this isn't going to go well. But uh, continue, please. Your your company, Jack the Rippers. I mean, it's like maybe maybe. Maybe naming yeah. your company something that isn't a bad thing. Anyway, so that that was their first mistake. So, you know, obviously I'm setting this up as that this is like this beautiful marriage and beautiful yeah. family. Well, unfortunately, there were cracks. And at the time the story kind of picks up, they were in the middle of a very nasty divorce um, that they did not really uh, get along that well. And during the divorce and after the divorce, Jim basically banned Pamela from the Goldfinger's offices. He just locked her out, said that you can't even come into the offices anymore. He accused her um, of allegedly embezzling money from Goldfinger. So it was a nasty divorce. It was not amicable in any way. Um, ah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So not a good marriage. Again, not, not probably the best name, uh, but the, like Goldfinger, were they uh, were they just like miserable people, or were they like actually breaking laws here? Well, it turns out that, unbeknownst to them, in 2008, the FBI and the IRS were secretly beginning to investigate Goldfinger. There was something bad going on. What happened was the Feds realized that the company was was doing a little bit more than just trading and in precious metals. First of all, they were acting without a license. So Goldfinger was operating um, almost solely as what's called a money transmitter, which means that they would collect fees uh, every time the users did transactions, but they wouldn't report it to the federal government. So they were making all Uh, this money in fees that they were not reporting to the federal government. So that is money laundering. And- They, they discovered that the companies, you know, at, when the company was really, really successful, very little of their earnings were actually coming from the trading of gold and precious metals on their website. What they were doing is they were using this side money, they were collecting it without reporting it to the feds, and then they were they created these Ponzi schemes on the side, oh. which were, so they were using the money to basically fund 
Ponzi schemes. And we all know about Ponzi schemes. We talk about them a lot on the show. So yeah. this was all going on. Now, here's why the feds were interested. And, and I, I, have, I found a funny quote from, from uh, one of the federal agencies. He said, typically, if you're a gold dealer, you buy it and you hold it. You don't buy and sell because there's no money to be made. There should have been a lot of money coming in and a little bit going out, but that wasn't happening. It was the opposite. There was a huh. lot of money coming in and a lot of money being shelled out. So warning to our listeners, if you are involved in some sort of gold dealing uh, <laughs> website or endeavor, you know this is an investment. It's not a quick money kind of turnaround. Thing. Yeah. This is like something that you, you buy it and you hold it for times when you know like the dollar basically plummets. So there, right. there was already a lot of red flags. So, but they don't know this at the time. They're this is they're being investigated. Yeah. They have no idea they're being investigated. And here's where it get, gets kind of interesting. Pamela apparently somehow found out that there was a subpoena on the way coming to her office, and we don't know exactly how she knew. And at that point, she told her friends, "I had no idea we were doing anything illegally." You know, Jim kept the books. Jim was kind of dealing with the business side. I was just kind of, you know, more on the front of the business and thought this was all a legit business. And mm -hmm. I'm going to turn this around. When she found out the feds were in, you know, she didn't tell Jim about this, but she, when she found out the feds were on their heels, she said, I'm going to turn this around. I am going to take $400,000 out of the company and pay for a license that we would need to do these kind of money transmission um, deal. So I, I want to do it. I want to do it on the straight and narrow. And not only that, but I'm going to work with the FBI and cooperate with the FBI to make this right. So she, this is what her friends say. She was basically ready to, to try to turn the company around and try to get them a little bit out of trouble. All right. Well, that, that sounds good. She realized, okay, whether we meant to or not, we are not doing something legal here. So we're going to make it right. So so they make it right? Well, you'd think so, Dan, but she never ended up actually talking to the FBI. And and why didn't she do that? Because she was she was murdered. Do you have a business problem? Well, I know people who have the answer. Hi, I'm Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine and host of the entrepreneur podcast, Problem Solvers. Each week on Problem Solvers, I talk to an entrepreneur about how they solved a problem in their business, like fixing their funding or marketing or product or whatever, or I talk to an expert about how to solve the most common vexing problems that you are probably facing, from leadership to lack of confidence. Our conversations are straight to the point because you don't have time for endless blah, 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 and tell me how you got started. No, you're busy. You have work to do. And Problem Solvers is here to help you solve problems. Find Problem Solvers wherever you get your podcasts. Pamela Fayed was murdered. Oh, boy. Uh, wow. So this takes a That's dark terrible. turn quickly. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, you know, when you said that she uh, had decided to do this, I thought, well, that's good. And then I was thinking like, oh, her, her husband's probably not going to be thrilled about that. And uh, right. There's going to be a bitter lawsuit right. and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to be. Yeah. No, no. This guy, this, this, this thing takes a dark turn, a very dark turn. On Monday, July 28th, 2008, at 6.30 p.m., 
Pamela was walking to her car in a parking garage in Century City when three people approached her and stabbed her repeatedly. Uh, They stabbed her 13 times and they slashed slashed her throat. Police found no eyewitnesses to the actual stabbing, but there were people close by. There was an individual that was in a building across the street from where Mrs. Fyatt was killed. That individual observed her grabbed the railing and then observed an arm come around Mrs. Fyatt and bring her back into the parking structure. And at that time, he didn't see Mrs. Fyatt any longer. That was the killer. That was the killer. And oh the crazy thing is she, when people started, you know, she started screaming for help. This was 6.30, you know, this wasn't like some crazy yeah. hour. This was like busy times in this parking lot. People ran to help her and she was still alive when they found her, barely. Um, but unfortunately, she, she didn't make it. And she, she was, I know it's a nutty story. And so she was actually going to a meeting with her estranged husband, Jim, uh, with their divorce lawyer. Like this was part of their divorce proceedings. And so that was the meeting that she had just gone to and was walking back to her car from. So you would kind of think there's something a little fishy about like, okay, you've gone to meet your husband who you don't get along with, and then you're murdered in a parking lot. A few weeks wow. later, yeah, it's crazy. It's so crazy. Was he just like uh, immediately arrested? Like, was he like just? They were like, we don't even have a suspect. We know this guy did it. No, that's the crazy thing. He was not arrested right away, and, and here's the the reason why. Like I said in the top of this show, there's a ton of surveillance footage from this this day and this scene all over this parking garage, all over this mall. And there is footage of Jim outside kind of walking the other way of the garage at the time of this murder. And so exactly when this was happening, he is not at the scene of the murder. I mean, he's at the scene, but he's not in the place where she was actually murdered. He's walking away. But the surveillance camera did pick up footage of a red Suzuki SUV kind of fleeing the scene at exactly the time that this murder happened or exactly after it. And basically stopping at, you know how like when you're leaving a parking garage, they have the thing that comes down and you got to take the ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're kind of stopped. They take the ticket, but the ticket doesn't work or they're trying to put the ticket back into the machine and it doesn't work. And then the guy gets out of the car. He's like forcing (sighs) the ticket into the machine. And during all of this, they're able to get the license plate of this red Suzuki SUV. And they're also able to identify that there was three people in the car. So suddenly those are people of great interest to the police. Wow. This sounds like a scene in a, a Coen brothers movie of just like, <laughs> exactly. It's Fargo. Bad, <laughs> bad, uh, bad criminals, bad at their jobs. Yeah. They're super bad at their job. They do everything wrong except for, unfortunately, it would have been nice if they had bungled the murder too, but they, they unfortunately yeah. did that. So what they did was that that ticket was discarded that they kind of used to get out of the parking garage, another idiotic thing. So the police had this ticket that has fingerprints on it. So they sent it okay. off to get to get analyzed, and unfortunately, no matches came back. But- they did get a match for that license plate. They were able to find out where that car came from. And this is this is where it gets really interesting. So the car was a rental. It was a it was an Avis rental 
from mm-hmm. rented in Camarillo, California. The uh, oh, yeah, uh, which is the Fayette's hometown. And guess oh whose God. credit card and name oh, was on the on. car? <laughs> Jim Fayette. Oh my lord! I mean, wow. Yep. He, he might as well have paid with like a gold bar stamped with gold fingers. <laughs> right. Please, please arrest me. And there's other one other thing they kind of noticed that was very suspicious when they were watch, looking at the surveillance cameras video. They noticed that at the time of the murder, she was screaming and there was a lot of commotion and there's a ton of people running towards the um, the parking garage where, where yeah. it all happened. Except Jim. You see him. He's walking in the other direction. Everybody's running towards the thing and he's walking yeah. away. So that kind of is a little uh, bit suspicious. Like if you were at a place and everybody is running towards something and screaming, do you walk the other direction unless you're just yeah, yeah. heartless? Just like, oh, I had my headphones on. I didn't know what was going on. Oh, my God. that's So now the police want to talk to Jim Fayette and they have they don't have a they don't have a ton of evidence, but they're able to call him in because they do have this case that the feds have against him about his fishy dealings with Goldfinger. So they, they can use that. He's a person of interest and they can also use that to hold him in jail. So they arrest him and they question him. And there is, you know, some uh, footage of that interrogation. So Jim claims, yeah, yeah, yeah. I rented that car, but I didn't drive it. You know, I just rented it for my family. And actually, I rented it for my ranch hand, this guy named Joey Moya, because uh, he needed a car. And they said, well, what, well, then who would have killed your wife? He said, well, you know, she had a lot of enemies. You know, this our business, sometimes there were people that, that were not uh, happy with the way we did business. We dealt with, you know, a lot of money. And so she would definitely have had enemies. And he said, you know, they, we should look at some of those people that would have gone after her. So the police are like, uh-huh. Joey Moya. I mean, that name just screams. Yeah, guilt, talk about Cohen I don't know where this is going, but... Joey Moya. Okay. Yes. Tell me about Remember him. the name Joey Moya. So Joey Moya, the guy who he gave the car to, turns out he was basically a ranch hand. So like I said, Jim lived in this huge horse ranch in Moore Park. And he had, you know, on his property, he had this ranch hand that lived here. Guy was named Joey Moya. And he was more than just a ranch hand. He was sort of like his, um, sort of did everything for him. Picked up the groceries for him, you know, took him to the airport. He was like his his butler, basically. And mm. Moya was also very friendly with, or not friendly, but would definitely worked a lot with Pamela Fayette and her two daughters because, you know, at one point when she had a horse farm, she asked him to help with it. He did stuff for her. So he was uh, a guy that they kind of had a lot of contact with, sort of like a babysitter. Um, so, okay. when the pol- so when the police went to investigate Jim Fayette's ranch, they definitely were interested in Joey Moya as well. And they went yeah. into his house. And they found this safe. There was a safe in his house and it had, they opened up the safe and it had $3.5 million worth of gold in it. There was a ton of gold in the safe. There was guns in the safe. There was also in a Joey safe in Moya's G- house? In Joey Moya's house. There was also a safe wow. in Jim's house that also had gold. So he was basically like working with Joey, Joey Moya to, uh, you know, basically uh, sock away a lot of gold and guns. So that was, that was definitely... Uh, very, very interesting. Yeah. The other thing that was very interesting is they took Joey Moya's fingerprints and they learned that those fingerprints uh, match the prints on the parking ticket. So now they had uh, their suspect. 
again, this does not look good for anybody. So now Joe yeah. Moya uh, is arrested because his fingerprints uh, were identified. And sort of through a series of, you know, good detective work, they also realized that the identities of the other guys in the car, because when the guys were leaving the garage, there was three guys in the car. One guy's named Gabriel J. Marquez. He's the boyfriend of, of Joey Moya's niece. And then there's another guy named Steve Simmons. And this guy's a bad dude. He's Marquez's nephew. And he is a gang member uh, uh, in Oxnard. Um, so the police were also able to find cell phone, you know, records or able to look at cell phone records and it found and found out that Marquez and Simmons, uh, their cell phones were on and they were uh, in the area. It was pinging in the area where the murders happened at the same time. So that was very good evidence. They are now, wow. you know, they go and they're definitely put in jail. So it's, yeah. it's, there's a bunch of suspects. We're still not entirely able to connect, to connect, uh, Jim Fayed to the murder, but it certainly doesn't look good that his ranch hand and his and his cronies uh, were seen escaping the, the scene in a in a rented car, you know, with his name under his name. Yeah, I you know I I don't think I would have made a very good um, juror in this case because I'd be like, dude, you are you're so guilty. You're like <laughs> guilty infinity. My God, this you're is crazy. so guilty. You know, and his lawyers, of course, they're lawyers. They're claiming, well, that he's being held in jail unfairly. You know, he's being held in jail as a suspect. But really, they're saying that he's really being in, held in jail because of of the um, federal investigation into him uh, with the Goldfinger dealings. But really, he's there as a suspect for this murder. So they are unhappy with his incarceration. So he's in this this local jail in Los Angeles, and they still don't have direct evidence linking him to the murder. But that is about to change. They get a they get a big break, huh? So Jim, Jim, Jim's uh, perfectly planned crime is about to fall apart. Yeah, because right? he's so smart. Let's... This guy, you think, okay, this this evil genius, you know, he's he's going to figure out a way to to to, to get his way out of this to yeah, to slink right. his way out of this this murder conviction. Not really. Um, so yeah. Jim, you know, while he's while he's in jail. He has a cellmate, real, real lovely guy named Sean Smith. And Sean is a suspected drug dealer. He's a felon. He recently pled guilty to illegally carrying a handgun. So he's just kind of, but he's mm. like a sort of two-bit crook, definitely yeah. not a murderer or anything, but you know, not a great guy. Smith uh, is sharing a cell with Jim. And at some point he approaches prison officials and said, you know, I might have some information for you that you might be interested in. This guy I'm sharing a cell with has been bragging about how he ordered uh, a hit on his wife and he's he won't stop uh. talking about it and they're like oh really would you be interested <laughs> in wearing a would you be interested in wearing a wire to possibly prove your claims and maybe reduce your sentence and he says sure i'd be happy to wear a wire so they wire him up and at that point you know he starts having these conversations with jim and all this stuff is on tape and we'll play some of it here uh, mr fire was bragging about how he had his wife killed she, she, she ran her mouth too much. She, she went out of control. She just started running her mouth. Oh, she did it? Yeah, her mouth shut. Yeah. And he was making some very derogatory remarks concerning Pamela Fayette, and it showed a real hatred for her. I, I told you, I mean, I didn't, I couldn't. You know, she, she was fun to play with, dude, but I had no intention of spending my life with her. Or, you know. 
from the recordings. Basically, he starts telling Jim everything. He says he paid Joey Moya to organize his wife's killing, that he arranged many opportunities for them to strike her, but they kept screwing it up and not doing it in time. In fact, he had found the perfect time to murder her at a birthday party that they were invited to or on July 4th in Malibu, but they didn't show up in time and they screwed that up. And they were such idiots that they were, you know, they did, they actually stabbed her and killed her in a very well-lit Century City parking lot where everybody could see everything and what idiots. And, you know, he had a better plan, et cetera. And that he wanted his money back because they didn't do it right. And so he was more worried about, you know, getting a refund on his yeah. <laughs> My God. Than actually the fact that his wife was killed. And he also was throwing wow. all sorts of shade at his wife. Obviously did not like Pamela, unfortunately. And everybody says she's a lovely person. He told, said that she was a drug addict, that she was trying to poison him. Not only does Jim, you know, admit to arranging this murder, <sighs> but- unsolicited he tries to see if sean smith can find him somebody to kill joey moya for him he says i gotta get this guy i gotta wipe this guy out um we gotta find somebody to kill him so he's planning the murder of joey moya uh so that because he thinks that might help his case so sean is like are you sure you want me to do this like he's like trying to not to entrap he doesn't want to entrap uh, Jim, but Jim falls right into it. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Who do you got? Wow. Who do you got? And so Sean Smith pretends he knows this guy in the mafia who can do it. He say, I don't know. You know, he's kind of old now. Ugh. You know, I don't know if he'll. And he's like, no, no, you got to get this guy. And not only does he say you got to get this guy, but he draws a map. Like, this is how you find Joey Moya. You you go here and you do this and you do that. I guess Moya wasn't in, in jail yet. So they were able to, they were able to, he said, you know, you got to go here. And he's telling him exactly how to get to Moya. So Please tell me this. Uh, there's not um, someone didn't read him his rights, and the whole thing fell apart. Like, did this? Did, is Jim in jail now, or should we yeah. stop disparaging him because he's going to show up to my house? With yeah, Joey exactly. You better be it. careful here. Uh, no, Jim. Jim did himself in with that recording. That was pretty much yeah. the, the nail uh, in his coffin. So, prosecutors were able to, you know bring charges. They said that Fayed paid Moya uh, $25,000. I guess that's what his wife's wife's life was worth to him. $25,000 wow. to do the killing with these two gang members. And I guess they had to split the, the fee. And they said his motive was that he was embroiled in a bitter and very potentially expensive divorce. And he feared that his, and he also feared that his wife was about to cooperate with the federal investigation into his company so between the divorce and the fact that he, I guess he caught wind that she was about to rat him out to the feds, he decided it was time for his wife to go. Wow. So talk about greed and yeah. money. So the way he dealt with it was, I'm going to kill my wife. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of different options. If you're unhappy in a marriage <laughs> or a business yeah. partnership, there's a lot of different ways to play this. There's a lot um, of different options. Killing your wife might not be the best idea. Yeah, so that that's really... got to be like the worst. I like That's almost never an option. John, an option. you and I are both married, so let's be on the record as saying killing your wife yeah. is never, Honey, never the option. It's never going to happen. <laughs> so there is justice served. Fayed was sentenced Jim Fayed, James Fayed, was sentenced to death. He is currently on death row in California. 
Wow. Um, who knows if he'll ever get the death sentence, but he is he is on death row in San Quentin. There was also a separate trial, interestingly, before the same judge as the one that did Jim's trial, and the jury convicted both all Moya, Marquez, and Simmons of first-degree murder of Pamela Fayed and a conspiracy to commit murder, and they are in prison for life. So everybody involved in this, thankfully, is in jail, but that doesn't bring back Pamela Fayed, who didn't really seem who certainly didn't deserve this this fate. So it's a sad wow. story. It's a story of greed gone just completely haywire. Totally off the deep end. My God, uh, what a what a what a heartwarming story, John. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it, just leave it to me to <laughs> to really cheer you up this wonderful morning. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a bad yeah. one, but um. You know, usually, yeah, usually on the show, you know, the crimes, while a financial crime is is devastating, you know, obviously financially and uh, emotionally, um, this is this is particularly uh, uh, brutal and and horrendous. Dirty, yeah. You know, I feel really bad for it. The, the real victims. Another victims here, are the, the daughters. Uh, you know, because yeah, right. basically they were nine and 17 when this happened, they lost their mom and then they lose their father, you know, like, how do you deal with something like that? You know, I don't know. And uh, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but so, you know, they were, they were, um, they were being investigated for, um, for basically taking all this money and not reporting it. Uh, what happens to that money? I wonder, I don't know. I do not know the answer. I do know that on a sort of separate note that one of the daughters, the younger daughter, the nine-year-old daughter, was in her, I saw an interview with her and she's in law school. She's getting her law oh, degree. Wow. So maybe something about the justice of this case and the way it was handled by the, the Justice Department inspired her to to want to, you know, lead a yeah. life of and hopefully hopefully it's not about uh getting dear old dad out of jail. No, although she did say, yeah, she did say that she she doesn't want him to get the death sentence. That that would mm. not make that would not be justice for her. She's still right. You know, he's still her father, and yeah. even though he's done a horrible thing, that would not be something that she would seek. So it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, I don't know what I would think if I if my if I knew that my father killed my mom. You know, would I have yeah. compassion for him? Would I forgive him? Sounds like she's forgiven him in some way, which is kind of an amazing thing. Did your dad ever um, ground you unfairly, and w did you <laughs> forgive him? <laughs> um, I forgave him, but I wanted to kill him. Um, <laughs> so it's complicated. Right. Dan, you know what? Have we been? I know you implemented this Bernie Madoff rating system, and I I can't remember if we have been continuing doing it, but I think we. We should continue this tradition of, of rating our crimes. Yes, I, th I think that this is a, a good one uh, to bring back. Now, uh, I think we only did it once, but we were going on a scale from one to 10 Bernie Madoffs of uh, this particular criminal and his crimes. And John, I'll, I'll let you go first. Uh, I think the answer here is pretty clear, but uh, I'm curious if you have a more forgiving heart than I do. Yeah, I'm going to give this guy a perfect 10. Um, I yeah. think he gets 10 yes. Madoffs. I, I don't think there really is anything worse than committing a crime in which you kill your wife 
uh, then brag about it in prison and then try to get the person who killed your wife killed as well. Like this guy is, yeah. there's no, rede- I can't find one redeeming thing no. about this person. So I'm going to give him a 10. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go right with you. Tens across the board. Way to go, across. Jim. <laughs> Great job. Nice job, Jim. That's pretty impressive. Probably the only good thing he's ever done in his life. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, well, anyway, thank you for listening to Dirty Money. I am John Small. And I'm Dan Bova. Thank you for listening. And until next episode, let's try to keep it clean. Dirty Money is part of the Entrepreneur Podcast Network. It is produced by Dan Bova and Jonathan Small. If you like what you heard, please rate the podcast and give us a review. It goes a long way in helping other people find the podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. 